That attitude, which has been, okay, let's create this flexibility for women, has sort of reinforced these gender roles that existed, you know, forever. This is Moms in the Middle, the show for busy parents who need a little help keeping their hustle in check, especially now. I'm Melanie Ng, mom of four-year-old Josh. And my name is Ivanka Osmak. I have two boys, George and Blake. And friends, it has been... It's been a while, but we are thrilled to be back in your ears with a new episode. We are still recording from home, of course, as we continue to live in this COVID world. We're adjusting to our new normal. But if you haven't already, go back. Take a listen to our past episodes. They're really, really great. We've covered a wide variety of topics and included some fantastic guests. So whether you're looking for an episode on sleeping, managing relationships during COVID, or why friendships are important for your self-care, do not worry. We've got you covered. And please make sure you are subscribed to our show on your listening app so that way you're going to get the notifications when we release a new episode. So what's new? It's been a little while since we've been able to chat with you. Uh, Last few months have been busy. It's kind of funny. It's actually picked up work for me. Obviously, I work in the news industry. Um, So as you can imagine, it's been a little wild. Uh, With that, though, I have a bit of normalcy. I'm actually still going into our studio for our morning show breakfast television. So I'm still wearing the Spanx and, oh, yes, the magnetic lashes, which, by the way, (laughs) are my new favorite thing because we're doing our own makeup, right? We don't have makeup artists anymore. And you kind of have to learn. (laughs) You have to learn to be a professional in all these things, which you are not good at all uh, at, but apparently I'm really great at the magnetic lashes now, Ivanka. It makes you appreciate like everyone that you used to work with because now you have a taste of what their jobs (laughs) were like. So um, shout out to all the makeup artists. Yeah, for sure. I want to get a pair of these magnetic lashes as soon as I go back to work because I am still on mat leave. I am still at home um, with the boys. Blake is almost seven months old and George is, he's home. He's not back in school and my husband is working still from the dining room table. So so we're pretty much status quo since um, since March. We haven't really changed our beat or our tune or anything. Now, the biggest difference for you, Mel, though, is that Josh is at school. So how is that going? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I cried, obviously, on the first day of school because he's in junior kindergarten and sending your little one, you know, depending on where, where you live, our, our kindergartners have to wear masks. And so all these little kindergartners lined up for their first day of school wearing masks. He waved goodbye and I full on bald, but I had big sunglasses and a mask so no one saw. So that's the bonus. <laughs> but, you know, it does. You're right. It does add a whole other element to the stress and the extra role that we are adding onto our lives during quarantine. And we are not alone. Um, You and I as moms, we've been dealing with a lot in the past six, seven months, and a lot of Canadian moms have because they've just been taking it all on, literally doing all of it. I mean, since COVID hit back in early spring, millions of Canadian women have been juggling all of it, childcare, household chores, the cooking, on top of that, still trying to do their regular jobs. And you know what? It's just been too much for many to handle. And unfortunately, It's the careers that have taken a hit. How about this study? From an RBC Economics report, they called the hit on women's employment unprecedented, with one and a half million women in Canada losing their jobs in the first two months of the pandemic. Think about that. One and a half million women in Canada. That's like such a staggering number. I can't even wrap my head around. It's astounding. And then there's another report published by Lean In out of the U.S., and it looks into the sentiment that we are seeing a lot of lately. It found that one in four women are considering downsizing their careers or completely 
leaving the workforce. And it had us looking at you know, our personal situations and your situations and whether or not you can relate to this, whether or not you're maybe forced into this situation or you're deciding it for yourself. So this is a topic we wanted to tackle today. Dr. Sonia Kang is joining us as a guest. She holds the Canada Research Chair in Identity, Diversity and Inclusion and is an Associate Professor of Organizational Behavior and Human Resources Management at the University of Toronto. If it sounds big time, you know she is. More recently, she also added podcast host to her resume. She She's working on For the Love of Work. It is a Rogers podcast. She also has two sons, a five-year-old and 20-month-old. And I believe the 20-month-old is napping right now, Dr. Kang. So fingers crossed that he stays napping throughout this whole episode. We want to welcome you to the podcast. And um, let's start right off the bat about these, these numbers that are so large and frightening. Um, I know you've been hearing about them for the past six, seven months. So how alarmed are you by these numbers? And how much has the pandemic really highlighted the gender inequality in our country? All right. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. And yes, my son is napping and hopefully that will continue to be the case. Um, So I think that these numbers, when we look at them kind of as a whole at the stage that we're we're at right now, you know, six or seven months down the line, it is really alarming, right? When we're seeing these big numbers like in the millions. Um, But when we think about this sort of historically as a trend that's been happening forever, you know, as long as women have worked, I think it's not that alarming that women's careers are the ones that have taken a hit in sort of the traditional heterosexual marriages. Um, Traditionally, in those kinds of relationships, it tends to be women who are earning less, tend to be perceived as having more flexibility in their careers. And often they're the ones who take this step back and have to, you know, put their careers on hold to take care of the home to take care of children. Um, and so in that sense, I would say that given the immense stressors that we're all under right now, the fact that women are choosing to, or not even choosing, you know, reacting to this very real stressor that we're under by taking this step back, I think, you know, is in line with what we would expect from this stereotypical traditional view of how women act in relationships. So Sonia, you said something really key there is perceived. Why are we, this is 2020. Why is it that we feel like we do have to step up to that other role to play that these, all these other roles when even if we are, let's say, making the same amount as our partner, feel like we need to be doing an extra job? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the patriarchy, right? We're all sort of raised within the stereotypical um, ideal of what women should do, what women should act like in relationships, and what mothers should do and act like. And I think when we're feeling these, we we're feeling these stressors because we've been sort of conditioned within this society, right? And so. That is where those perceptions come from. We have these expectations of ourselves. We have these expectations of what we think other people want from us and perceive us to be doing or not doing. Um, And so we're reacting to those expectations. I recently had a conversation with these two researchers who have a book, which is really great. It's called Dreams of the Overworked. Their names are Melissa Mesmanian and Christine Beckman. And in their book, they talk about this spiral of expectations. And it's really what you're talking about, right? It's these perceptions. So whether or not these things are actually real, we have this perception that other people expect us to be acting in a certain way. And we internalize that. And then we expect ourselves to act in that certain way. Um, And then when we 
don't live up to those perceptions and expectations, it can be really damaging. So we feel that pressure all the time and it kind of spirals. My thing is uh, I'm trying to get to a place, and I know a lot of my girlfriends are as well, where things are just good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect, but good enough. Are the kids fed? Yeah. Is it always a perfect meal? No, but it's good enough. Are there dishes in the sink that are dirty? Sure. But just like you said, managing those expectations, but how difficult or what are some tricks to kind of change your mindset so that, you know, you have, you can let go of that perfection? That's a really hard one for me. I really fall into that trap. I am like an ultimate perfectionist and it's, it's a lot of work. It's an ongoing work in progress. I think one of the things that I've actually done over this past little while is really to actually take a cue from my husband who is more so a like good enough, right? He's like a satisficer. He does things so that they're good enough. And watching that, I think has really taught me a lot about what is good enough. So before my perception of that, watching that, I would say like, oh man, he's like, you know, playing with the kids and they're just having a good time, but like they didn't do the dishes and they didn't make, you know, they just had snacks for lunch and all this stuff. And then I kind of took a step back and I thought about it and I was like, well, you know, I'm feeling stressed because I'm trying to do all of those things, right? Trying to have a good time with the kids while also maintaining like, you know, perfectly spotless kitchen and having like a proper meal and all of these different things. When like really what we need to be doing, I think, is thinking about the priority, which is, you know, at that moment is having fun with the kids and then not worrying so much about that other stuff. But I think it's very hard to do and you have to practice it like you would. It's really a skill, right? It's like a skill like any other skill, that you have to practice, which is like stepping back from the expectations that you're imposing on yourself. I would also say that, you know, social media is playing a role here as well. I think, you know, I don't really go on um, Instagram that often, but when I do, it's all of these like perfect moms who are like baking cakes and cleaning and like they have these like cutesy little, you know, videos with their kids. Like it's just all perfect. And it's like, it can be really anxiety provoking for me, even as someone who consumes that media, not that often. So I can also see how if you're someone who's like, you know, on social media and watching these other moms who I don't think those are their real lives that they're posting, but they're setting it up as if these are their real lives, then that can also be sort of a perfection trap, right? And you have to be able to distance yourself from people, I think, who make you feel like you need to be perfect, whether that be you know, people that you don't know on social media, whether that be people in your social circle. I think it's about distancing yourself from those um, sources of expectations for perfection and really paying more attention to people who don't care as much about perfection and are able to prioritize. So Sonia, an added pressure has been for a lot of people is the school year. So whether or not, you laugh because I know you're feeling this too, with with two, especially one in kindergarten, uh, and I have one in kindergarten as well, and uh, I'd say major anxiety. You know, he went to JK and, you know, masked up. They know everything about sanitizing their hands. They're walking like zombies, you know, that you see them lined up and they're not allowed to touch one another. And, um, but that's kind of the norm. But as a, a mom, I felt like, 
oh my gosh, I need to prepare. I, I don't know how many masks I bought. I don't know how many different sanitizers I tested with him, backpacks, lunch things that, you know, touchless, whatever. And it almost created a whole new job for me outside of my full-time job. Like I still have a full-time job. I go into the news station every single day and I do this. And then the wheels would be a turning. And I'm thinking, why am I the only one that's doing this? Like, listen, I, I, I love my husband. He's great. But why does this feel like it's falling onto me to do this other part-time job to prepare this child for the world unknown, which, you know, no one really knows what's going on in this whole world. And so what would happen if we didn't do it? I guess that that's it. You know, like, do we think it's just not going to happen or, or they'll be ill-prepared for school? Like, why do we feel like we have to take it on outside of the expectations of seeing it on social media? Is there something within us that really just says you, you have to do this? Like, this is part of you. You know, grown up in a patriarchal society, I think we have certain roles that are ascribed to mothers. One of those roles tends to be this kind of coordination role, right? Like you're the one who has the to-do list. You're the one who's kind of like doing procurement. That's what we call it in our household. Like I'm the procurement specialist. Like, you know, it's those kinds of roles that moms tend to take on because of the traditional association between women and the home, right? Women were in charge of managing the home, and I think that continues. You know, I'm with you. I also, like, I'm embarrassed. I don't even know how much money I've spent on masks trying to find the right masks. But again, it's me who's doing that. And I think that if we were not to do that, we would have to negotiate with our partners in a way that makes us feel comfortable to give it up, right? And I definitely, I feel, you know, the same anxiety that you feel like if I stop doing it, then who's going to do it? And I'm sure a lot of moms feel the same way. But I think that is a lesson in, you know, learning to delegate and also communicating, right? Communicating exactly what needs to be done. And then realizing that the way that someone gets from A to B might not be the exact same as you, but if the job gets done, then that's good enough. But I think that, you know, traditionally that role of kind of like strategic planning, that kind of like COO, like that kind of role has fallen on the mom of the family to manage those kinds of logistical details. We are COO, CEO, CFO. We're all of it, right? Yes. Everything. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> now, I feel like there are some stories we could hear about you and your husband, you know, because, well, y you don't, I know you work from an office, but you don't do, um, I guess when you come home, you try and put your mom hat on, right? And so you try not to do a lot of work from home. Yeah, so my husband is working 100% from home. Uh, he's maybe made it into the office twice just for things that they had to do for certain meetings, distanced, of course. Um, so that's like the office is his office space. Funny, but but that being said, my office space is a studio. It's a new studio. So I work at a dining room table from any of my Zoom calls or any sort of um, video conferencing. And then that's when the little one's running around. I know you guys know exactly what this is. The little one's running around on my calls, not on his calls, on my calls, right? I mean, maybe it has to do with my hours. I think it's a unique scenario for us because I've, I've wrapped work by the time school wraps so I can do that. Um, but I think, you know, even outside of someone who's not necessarily working my unique hours, I, I know a lot of girlfriends who are still that. They're that working mom and also being the mom, um, having the little ones running around in the background, prepping the dinner, doing all of that. And hello, we're, I mean, listen, I don't want to speak in generalizations because there are some fabulous husbands and partners out there. But just from our unique scenarios, it, feel, <laughs> it feels really one-sided, doesn't it? I don't know, Ivanka. Ivanka's on mat leave right now. 
Yes, no, exactly. Exactly. I'm on Matley. So I'm in a very unique situation. Um, so, yeah, so my husband came home and we tried to make the office, <laughs> the office slash dining room as comfortable for him. And I try and keep the kids out of his way. And I'm trying to take on more roles. I don't like to cook, but it's something that I'm, I'm trying because I'm home. And, you know, I, I understand the hours that I have to do that, that he doesn't. So if it, if it means I have to spend a little extra time doing things that, you know, I'm not necessarily great at, um, then I'm, for sure going to do it to help him out. But I know I have a lot of friends who are saying the same thing. They both work and yet they feel they're doing more. Now, before COVID, there was a lot of administrative work they would do online. You know, like who's picking up the kids from soccer? Who's picking up the kids from daycare? Who's doing this? Who's running around across the city? What meeting do you have? And now because everyone's at home, most of the time, they have got a whiteboard And a whiteboard seems to be working because that is where they're delegating. And even for the older kids, they're delegating responsibilities. Is that something like you're kind of treating your home like a workplace when it comes to your partner and also your kids? Do you think that could be an effective method? So I would say that any tool like that where it helps you to communicate what you need, what you want, and what needs to happen is going to be useful. So it might not be, not every family is going to use the same prop, right? Like for you, it might not be a whiteboard. It might be, you know, an email log or even a shared Google calendar, which is what we use. But any, I think, tool that allows you to communicate better, I think will be helpful. And that's all it is, right? It's just a way for you to kind of very concretely set out, these are the things that need to happen. These are the times which I, when I cannot do things or I can do things and just allows you to communicate with your partner and have that negotiation. Um, I think that's super useful. And I will say too, that kind of negotiation that we're having now, I think with our partners is just so much more frequent than it ever happened right before COVID. So now, you know, we're negotiating things like on a daily, you know, hourly basis. Whereas before you might look at the whole week and say like, oh, okay, like this is what's happening this week. Now things are changing so quickly. There's so many different things going on all the time um, that having something like that, that everyone can see, like the whiteboard could be really helpful, particularly I think in households where you have older kids, right? (laughs) Older kids who can read and older kids who can also take on those responsibilities and you know, use that to sort of manipulate the board and kind of move things around. Um, I think that could be useful there. Not so useful with like, you know, super little ones, but for older kids, for sure. Come on, it's time to read now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to negotiate with a two-year-old sometimes, especially yeah. if you don't have candy in your hand. I will say that. Cookies! <laughs> um, Sonia, when you were talking about negotiation, I was thinking a little bit about women and negotiation when it comes to their employers. Uh, there almost feels like an intimidation factor. And, and again, this is going to sound like speaking in generalizations, but it's one of those where if you don't ask, you don't get. And whereas, you know, women, we feel... Uh, or, or some women feel as though, you know, you don't want to come off pushy when it comes to the, the work climb. So at the same time, if your child is sick, who's the first person that will put up their hand to stay home and to, to be with a child? There's It kind of ties back to the whole idea of these patriarchal roles, matriarchal roles and, and whatnot. But 
when I have these conversations with men at work, it's always like women saying like, oh, my child, this, 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 I can't make that meeting because, and very rarely do I hear that coming from male coworkers of, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to need to re- reschedule that because my child this. I hear it more so coming from my female coworkers. So how does this bleed into these roles and then actually happening at the workplace, either climbing within your workplace or having these negotiations or these conversations within your workplace? How is this all tying in together. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, what you're kind of touching on is this idea of um, flexibility, right? And so it's kind of this illusion of flexibility that I think companies have sort of sold to women as a feature, right? And so they've said like, oh, you know, you can have a flexible schedule, which allows you to basically balance all of your different jobs, right? So it's not like you're being flexible to manage like relaxing with your job. No, you're being flexible so that you can manage, you know, your job that you do at home with your children, with the job that you do possibly also at home, but for your work. That attitude, which has been, okay, let's create this flexibility for women, has sort of reinforced these gender roles that existed, you know, forever, which is that women should be the ones to take on those roles because people are okay with them doing it, right? It's okay, like we have this flexibility, we understand that women are going to do this. I think in order for that to change, we also have to change that expectation around men, you know, taking time off and needing flexibility to deal with those kinds of emergencies at home or dealing with, you know, whatever's coming up with their kids as well. And so that it's not just women who it's okay for the, you know, it's okay for women to do that kind of thing, but not for men. I think that men are also constrained by that same logic, right? That it's okay for women to be flexible and take this time off, but not so much for men. We see this a lot with parental leave as well, right? So women, you know, will take uh, maternity leave for varying lengths. Men much more rarely will take uh, paternity leave. And I think it's because of this expectation, we, of course, we assume that all women are going to take some amount of maternity leave, right? Some longer, some shorter, But if a man takes paternity leave, it's kind of surprising still, even to this day in 2020. Um, And I think that that sort of bleeds over into the rest of child rearing, where it tends to be the woman who's expected to take that time to do those things, to, you know, to take time away from her job, her work at work. I feel like I'm getting confused because, like, it's all a job. (laughs) It's one big job every day. It's all work. But... The work that you get paid for, let's say, um, you know, take time away from that to do that stuff at home with your kids. And so if we change that so that men were given the same flexibility, they would then become more comfortable asking for that time, I think. And then it would become more normative. Um, And that's how slowly change happens, right? It's just more and more people, more and more men will do it. It becomes more normative. It's more, you know, it doesn't seem so rare. You know, like you said, you don't often hear men asking for that because they're not, right? They might be doing it. They might just be saying something else. They might full well be doing stuff with their kids, but they're not open about it. So I think, you know, it's just changing the sort of environment around expectations for both men and women. This is how we've always done things. I feel like that's a statement that gets overplayed and is overused and needs to be retired very, very quickly. Um, Sonia, I know you hold the Canada Research Chair in Identity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Have you noticed a pattern with women, um, mothers of different ethnicities who have been more affected um, than others? Yeah, definitely. I think definitely with COVID, we see that um, some segments of the population are affected more than others. There are also, we have a lot of 
discrepancies that exist across different sectors of work, right? So women who are doing work where they're more exposed or, you know, they're more like frontline workers. Um, and in those communities, we have higher, see higher rates of COVID. Um, you know, in Toronto, when we were collecting the race-based data on COVID, we saw those kinds of distinctions drawn very clearly where, you know, certain communities were being affected much more than others. And so to that, I would say that, you know, there are these sort of concentrations of people from traditionally disadvantaged groups among those who are disproportionately affected by COVID and among those who don't have the opportunity or the option to work from home and don't have the opportunity or the option to step back, right? What we're talking about at the top of the show, we talked about women who are stepping out of the workplace. Some women do not have that option, right? They have to just continue going to work no matter what even if they're in sort of these high exposure, high risk professions where they're going to be more exposed, right, to the public, they have more interactions with other people. On the COVID front, all of these disparities that existed before have just become more solidified and they're coming to light more, which I think is good because people are noticing it more. And hopefully that will be sort of a catalyst for change there. When we look at it as a catalyst for change, what do we need to do to change that? Yeah, that's a hard conversation. I think that now what we're seeing is the result of decades, you know, maybe longer of sort of entrenching all of this inequality into the system, right? So we have a lot of systemic um, inequality. We have systemic discrimination, um, systemic racism, and all of these things have sort of been like baked so deeply into our societal structures that it's very hard to see them and remove them. And so what we're seeing now, I think for the first time, is some, sort of some momentum around that, thinking about how we can make this shift, how we can make things more equitable at a systemic societal level. So some of those things I think are going to be you know, ch- making changes around childcare, right? Which is hard now because you can make all the changes you want to childcare that you want in schooling, but if childcare and schools get closed, <laughs> then it doesn't matter, right? So I think, you know, having those kinds of changes that we make systemically now that we identify and implementing them now and implementing them post-COVID will be important for making some making some change on an area that we've been working on for so long. Um These things that we've been talking about as well in terms of women taking a step back, I think also unfortunately will reverse some of the progress that has been made against those sort of traditional norms. Um, I think that a lot of the ground that women have sort of gained in terms of, you know, involvement in the workplace, unfortunately, some of that ground may be lost during this time, you know, depending on how long this goes on for. Is there any reason to believe that the negotiating skills that women are picking up and managing others could actually prove beneficial or useful in the workplace? I think so. I think that, you know, women get a bad rap, I think, when it comes to negotiations because, you know, forever people have said like, oh, women, you know, they just like don't know how to ask for things or, you know, they're too risk averse. But I think what we're really starting to realize is that it's not the case that women are risk averse. They're more risk aware. So they're kind of better. They're more savvy when it comes to 
understanding when it's worthwhile to ask for something and when it's probably not going to work out, right? And so they have this better kind of gauge of like what's worth asking for and where am I going to be more successful? Um, whereas men kind of seem to just like be super confident, overconfident, in fact, and just ask for whatever, whenever. Um, sometimes that lands, sometimes it doesn't. And so I think that in learning how to negotiate, you know, with your partner and learning how to negotiate with your children, which is like its own thing, um, <laughs> hopefully those, you can generalize those skills, I think, in your interactions with other people. Um, I think also, you know, understanding that other people are having these same struggles. One thing that's kind of, I mean, not that there's anything really truly good about this pandemic, but I think like one thing that is sort of positive, I think, is that it is building some empathy for our coworkers and other people because we realize that everyone is sort of stuck in the same position and how hard it is for other people. Um, and so I think that that sort of empathy building will also help in advancing women who are asking for things in the workplace as well. Because I think that, you know, when let's say you're asking your boss for a promotion or a raise or whatever it is, they're going to be considering that in light of everything that you've just been through and what it's taken you to get to this point that you're still there and you're asking for more and you're taking trying to take on more responsibilities. Sonia, let's hope that through all of this, as you said, there haven't been as many positives as we've seen negatives in this pandemic. But all of this, let's hope that this is the precursor to some change. As we talked about, change is not happening overnight when it comes to women's roles, whether it be in the home or the workplace. But let's hope this opens people's eyes through empathy, through negotiation, through respect, through understanding. Um, but I think we, <laughs> we need to open those doors for one another. I think that's fair to say. Um, Sonia, thank you so much for your time today. I think um, you've really enlightened us here and I'm, I'm ready to negotiate. I'm opening this door to this basement that I'm sitting under <laughs> blankets on and I'm going to go talk to my husband right now. No, thanks for this. Thanks for having me on. All right. What I am taking away from this episode and from our chat with Dr. Sonia Kang is definitely not having to be so perfect not having to have everything in its place, have every chore checked off, um, have everything done because things are different these days. And um, I'm going to put value on our family time. If it's not perfect, sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect. So I think I'm going to take a step back on doing some of those responsibilities that are quote-unquote women's roles. And um, as Dr. Sonia Kang, when she mentioned that, you know, seeing her husband out playing with her kids and she was in the house fussing and tidying up. And she was like, wait, why am I stuck doing this? Why shouldn't I be having fun? And I think that really resonated with me that, yeah, why aren't I having fun? And sometimes it's the women who miss out on the fun. So that's what I'm going to try and do more of is have fun. Yeah. And, and on top of that, too, I, I feel the same way as you, Ivanka, in that sometimes we do. We load things on ourselves or feel like we have to do these things. Like I was asking about the schooling, you know, the masks and the sanitizers and whatnot. Sometimes you forget. I know I personally forget to ask for help. And so that was super helpful for me to hear that, you know, sometimes you really do need to reach out. You need to lay it out and say, here's what I need. Because if you don't ask, you'll never get it. And I mean, that really does apply in so many different environments, uh, even in the workplace, uh, to tie this all together is you never know unless you ask. And so you've got to learn to unload 
the load, uh, which is what I got from it. And Sonia, that was an amazing, amazing piece of advice. So I will walk away with that, hopefully with lighter shoulders, because I feel like I'm being weighed down right now. But we, we are so happy that we were able to get this episode to you because it's something that both Ivanka and I, um, we've been talking about. You know, it, it's a stressful time with Ivanka on mat leave and myself just, you know, working as hard as I possibly can in this pandemic. And to hear these numbers, we wanted to make sure we heard your voice as well and your concerns. So thank you as always for listening. And we're always listening to you. We want to know what you think about the podcast, if you have ideas for future episodes, or if you want to comment on this one. All you have to do is go and rate and review. You can do this on your app. It's so easy. We're on Twitter at Frequency Pods at our website, FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. Also, if you're on the Instagram at Moms in the Middle Podcast, again, we'd love to hear from you guys. I like that you said the Instagram. Awesome. <laughs> this show, Do I sound like old when I say that? Oh, well. The interwebs. Yeah, all good. And this show, as always, produced by the lovely Stephanie Phillips and presented by Frequency Podcast Network.